and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia, and here's my co-host Morgan. Hello. So this week we are talking about Star Wars The Last Jedi, of course, naturally. Um, if you were here coming for the Shape of Water episode, which was meant to be this week, it's been pushed forward to next week, so that'll be our kind of Christmas time episode. Yeah, Star Wars. Uh, we have actually barely discussed this at all, so I don't actually know what Morgan's opinions are, but apparently she didn't like it. And I did like it. So this is going to be a contentious episode, which yes. is, I think, appropriate because this movie is incredibly divisive. So both of us are right, basically. <laughs> or both of us are wrong, <laughs> depending on the however you look at it. You're a glass half full or empty person. But yeah, for listeners who've not seen the movie, obviously this is going to be really spoilery. We're not bothering with any of this no spoilers nonsense. In terms of plot summary, quite hard to summarize this film because it does go over three different storylines, but essentially, um, just to jog your memory, it's a continuation of The Force Awakens and the three plot strands follow Rey as she's kind of trained or not trained as a Jedi with Luke Skywalker on his uh, deserted island on Act 2. And then there's Finn and his new friend Rose, who's a resistance engineer, who have their own subplot to go and find this hacker to help the resistance escape. A very slow-moving chase scene where Poe Dameron and Leia are with Laura Dern's character, Admiral Holdo, and they are very slowly running out of gas and trying to escape the First Order fleet. And then it kind of all comes together at the end for a final battle, which, unlike most final battles, I actually found interesting and emotionally compelling and would definitely watch again with interest, which is more than you could say for, like, basically every superhero movie. So well done to this film. That's your opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, okay. So, I mean, I actually, I partially agree with that. I found this to be like one third of an amazing film and two thirds of a film that was not good at all. And I think that it was just not weighted well and very, very muddled. And way too long. And that final battle, the big climax of the movie for me is actually, I mean, again, like, we don't even need to like do plot because every single fucking person in the world except my mother has already seen this movie and I'm going with her next week. So, like, it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, I'm, I'm going with my mother um, next week. It's been very painful to have only seen this film once. <laughs> I need to see it again. <laughs> yeah, your life is really a struggle. It is. So, the big climax of this movie, I think, is absolutely... The scene with Snoke and Rey and Kylo Ren in Snoke's, like, weird throne chamber room. And then when it became apparent that the movie was going to keep going after that, and, like, I've had conversations with many people who had the exact same reaction. I was just like, no, please let it be over. I've been here for so long. I need to leave. I actually went up and got went to the bathroom in the middle of the movie, which I have I don't remember the last time I've done that. Like, it just was so long. You see, I agree that it was over long. This is the longest Star Wars movie. But at the same time, while watching it, there was no part where I was like, ugh. Apart from whenever Snoke's speaking, because he's a drag. I just found all of it so thrilling and entertaining that I was like, sure, go ahead. Keep it all in. (laughs) I mean, I literally, by the time the, like, planes are flying or whatever over the... there's There's one shot that I vividly remember feeling this way. My eyes glazed over. I literally couldn't follow what was happening on the screen because I was so bored. And oh I was just God. like, this needs to be over. Like, and then once Luke comes and he and Kylo Ren have their like fight at the end, I thought that was great because that was actually something that was like 
emotional and had to do with real people and not like planes blowing each other up, which I just, I was so bored. And I think the reason that people are having such like viscerally different reactions to this is that it is com- completely comes down to just like subjective response. Oh, right? for sure. Because like, most I mean, of obviously the, like, so there's been a lot of publicity for the fan backlash, which as with any fan backlash is a tiny, but very vocal minority of fans. First of all, probably predominantly male because it's like a different kind of fandom than what we were involved with. And it's kind of older fans, yes. but it's because they have very specific ideas in mind of how the story should predictably play out. And this film was really unpredictable in terms of how it treated canon and Luke Skywalker's role. And I should say, like, I like Star Wars. I'm not a Star Wars person. Like, I haven't seen the original trilogy since I was a child. Like, literally, I was probably 13 or 14. I saw them last month and I can confirm they rule. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I remember them very fondly. I Mm. think of them as very good movies, but I'm not someone who has purist ideas or, Mm. you know. my I'm not coming at this from that point of view. And the, the few little things I've seen online about, like, fanboys being mad, I just please stop and go away. So basically I found this stuff with Finn and Rose interminable. And I understand why people would watch that and have a different response, particularly if you are a non-white person, which I obviously, but I don't think I was watching. I like Finn in the first movie a lot. Obviously like he's great. John Boyega is so charming And I was frustrated by this because I felt like the movie was massively underserving him. And Kelly Marie Tran is like the most charming person in the world. I think she's very charming in this movie. And obviously on the press tour, she's just like a delightful young lady. Like, I hope she gets many, many more roles. But I just found that part totally underdeveloped and not nearly as interesting as some of the other stuff in the movie and really tangential. And you can explain why you think it's (laughs) relevant, but I did not think that they did enough with it at all. And when they're like romping around on animals, I was like, I know that like serious star Wars people like this stuff and like children, obviously, and they have to have some of that kind of thing for kids because that's like fine. But I just found it so boring. And I thought I was frustrating and I, I can understand. I remember when the like they first showed the poster, like of one of the like Comic Con for Star Wars, right? And like John Boyega wasn't on it, and like you could see his face that he was disappointed because like, he hadn't seen it. And I was like, I feel like that is this movie because oh he God. they just like sent him off to a space casino. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Um, I thought the stuff with Ray and Kylo Ren and Luke that third of the film I thought was incredible, like astonishing and good. But the film as a whole, I was thought, I just, by the end, I was like, let it be over. (laughs) Just please let me out of here. God. So that's my point of view. Okay. Why don't you speak now? (laughs) So to a certain extent, the the Canto Blight stuff, the stuff in the casino is the weakest part. And one of the issues I had while watching the film, it didn't really detract from my experience, but I think it might on the rewatch, but just the way they cut between the Poe Dameron lay and stuff and then on Canto Blight it's this sequence where there's this really slow chase sequence and Finn and Rose's mission basically they have to go and find this hacker before the fleet runs out of fuel and it's a chase sequence that takes place over the course of like three days or something but because it's a chase sequence 
it feels like that part takes like an hour and then the casino stuff takes like a week and they didn't edit it together in a way that 100% fits chronologically. Like intellectually, I know what the timeline is, but when you're watching it, I just like couldn't really get that to work. And I do think that their storyline didn't feel as emotionally intense as Pose and the one with Ray and Kylo, which is obviously like the most intense part of the movie. But yeah, I just really enjoyed the Finn and Rose storyline a lot more than you. And I do also think that it had this kind of thematic subtext, which I think is getting overlooked by quite a lot of people because this is one of the parts that I think was most divisive because some people just were like, oh, this is a shit storyline. And some people were really upset because they thought that John Boyega was hard done by because I think he did speak about how he wanted to be working with Daisy Ridley and people kind of took that and ran with it to be like, oh, he hates Ryan Johnson and Ryan Johnson hates John Boyega. And it's like, don't think that's true. Probably not true, but okay. But yeah, like their storyline is kind of, they're the most junior people of the resistance. And I feel like it was a really effective way of re-engaging with the political conflict in the middle of Star Wars, because it's very easy to kind of just view it in this really simplistic terms of like, oh, there's the good guys and the bad guys. And then because you've been watching Star Wars all your life, you don't really think about the kind of political background for that. And this really grounds Finn in those politics rather than just assuming that he's going to join the resistance, right? Because for him, this story's only been going on for a few days. The first film is really fast paced and he immediately is just motivated by his friendship with Ray and Poe. So that's all he really cares about and then escaping the First Order. Um, And like for the first, I think for the first third of The Last Jedi, it was like, oh my God, are they just repeating his character development from The Force Awakens? And I was just like, this is, oh my God, it really is. And then then for the second two thirds, I was like, okay, they actually are going in a much more developed direction. The Force Awakens is kind of him running away from the First Order. And then The Last Jedi is him figuring out what he's running towards. So he kind of is grappling with this, not apathy, but this lack of desire to get really into the war, who which Rose Tico is. And she's like a more accessible person than Poe because Poe is already this huge, impressive hero um, and he can't really have that kind of conversation with him necessarily. Whereas Rose is like, she's younger. They've got kind of similar personalities and they're both like just really sweet and optimistic and energetic. But she has this really solid motivation to be involved in the war rather than just escaping the First Order. And... Finn is kind of torn between DJ, which is Benicio Del Toro's character, and Rose. And by meeting DJ, he's kind of this reverse mentor figure. So like the others are learning from Leia and Luke. And when he meets DJ, DJ's decisions are the ones that he like doesn't want to emulate because he realizes that if you try and remain neutral in this fight, then that's a bad plan and you do actually need to fight. And then so the, the film basically is the trajectory of him solidifying his desire to be part of the resistance and becoming the next generation of soldiers. And it like it really fits into the thing that we got from the first movie, which is the idea of him being this character who rejects his own destiny and makes his future for himself. And so, I don't know, I've been thinking a lot about like destiny and history after watching this movie, because I think Ryan Johnson was really plugging into that a lot with um with Ray and Luke, which we'll talk about in a minute. But I think like each of the four main new characters have this different thing that they represent in the franchise. So Rey is really this fairy tale destiny character who has this future ahead of her, which is not set in stone, but you can really tell where she stands in a classic hero's journey. 
And Poe represents this institutional memory of the resistance where he's following on from the past because his mother was in the resistance and he's learning from Leia and he's very much filling in an existing mold. And this was just like a classic character development arc. And then with Kylo Ren, he's like completely obsessed with the past to the point of toxicity. And with Finn, he's kind of the mirror image of Rey where he had a destiny that was set over him and he completely rejected it. And he, through his own choices, has made better decisions than Kylo and swap sides. And I'm just like, it all fit for me. And also, um, they're very sweet. <laughs> I think that that all makes sense, but I think that you have done massively more work to make it make sense than is in the movie. Because I didn't get any of that. Well, I think, I think that is what Ryan Johnson intended. But that doesn't... I'm sure it is. And it's what I got from the movie. <laughs> I mean, that's great for you, but... By the time he's, like, flying into the cannon, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, none of this makes... Where did this come from? And I just think that that... It's, I think it's too subtextual. And I'm not saying that he should have been, like, declaiming his, like, thoughts. But they have really and, like, explicit conversations between... Like, Finn and Rose have this incredibly obvious conversation about Rose's background, like, her childhood and stuff. I mean, yeah, and, like, you see the sister, which I thought was a great scene at the beginning like sacrifice yourself yeah. and die whatever and I was also like really surprised because I thought she was going to be more of a character because they did one of those sort of clever marketing things where they had all these scenes with like Kelly Marie Tran and the actress who plays her sister together and it's like oh okay see if that you don't worked. pay attention to the marketing like I don't I mean obviously I don't have the option of not pay I, I paid as little I attention as I could I avoided all spoilers very successfully <laughs> I was not criticizing you I was merely saying that yeah. because I don't I was like oh yeah she's about to die now <laughs> um I felt it was incredibly repetitive of the last movie. And they obviously do have certain conversations about like her motivation and the resistance and whatever. But I found those conversations to be too on the nose and not that interesting. And then I just think that it's great if you got that out of the movie, like sincerely, I'm glad you enjoyed it. But I think that that's a lot more depth than is there on the surface and so if you're watching it and not thinking that hard about it which like most people are <laughs> then it's just like okay and I think it also is possible to watch this and just find that like entertaining and diverting like that section of the movie I mean which is also fine but I just didn't get any of that from it and also, like, I've seen people arguing that, like, the fact that they fail is the point. And certainly related to the Poe section, like, they clearly have to fail because it's his ridiculous plan to undermine the f woman in charge. But I don't think that they really address that enough, certainly related to Finn and Rose and, like, what's going on with them. And the practical effect of the failure is that a massive amount of the movie has been spent on this boondoggle that doesn't go anywhere. And so by the time it was over, I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> like, oh my God, we just spent so much time in a space casino for no reason. Although I did appreciate the Justin Thoreau cameo. That made me very happy. Um, <laughs> yes. Maz Kanata, Lupita Nyong'o's character, has officially banged Justin Thoreau and his little mustache. Good. Good for her. And also, right. his girlfriend in the movie is played by Lily Cole, supermodel Lily Cole, just FYI. Sure. I mean, she was probably around. I was like, <laughs> could I be in Star Wars? Yeah. <laughs> I would also want to be in Star Wars. 
I love Star Wars cameos because unlike, you know, I just watched The Disaster Artist recently and every single person in that movie is a cameo and I was just so distracted. Whereas in Star Wars, I will notice maybe one of the 57 cameos because everyone's wearing like a bunch of alien makeup <laughs> and it'll be like Lily Cole and I'll be like, that's a reasonable cameo and I accept that. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was in this movie as an alien with full body makeup. <laughs> I didn't notice. No, of course, no one would notice. It's good. (laughs) I'm just really glad they cut Prince William and Harry because I'm a nasty person who doesn't like royals. I'm like, you didn't deserve this. I'm aware of this. (laughs) Um, Why don't we talk about the the post stuff before we do the race stuff? I found this slightly more colorful. <laughs> I experience a thrill of pure visceral joy whenever Poe Dameron is on screen or speaking or doing anything. And I think this is a completely objective opinion and it's correct because he is the best character ever. He is gloriously simple. You sound very <laughs> yeah, objective I'm a scientist. Right I studied this in a lab. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so... He's very dashing. He's extremely dashing and handsome. He's got this special performance where he takes his own natural Oscar Isaac handsomeness. He kind of somehow propels it forward to another higher level because he's playing this like fucking 1940s fighter pilot hero who's just wonderful in every way. Incredibly charming. Very enthusiastic. Not terribly strategically complex, um, which is something this film developed because, you know, in The Force Awakens, Poe Dameron is obviously lovely and we all fell passionately in love with him as you would but um it's not that he has as such a character arc or very many definable traits which is fine because the traits that he has are wonderful and in this one they were like okay how about if he's just like too cool (laughs) so he's just this like fly boy who just wants to blow stuff up and I found it very charming and I also I I kind of appreciated the interplay they have between him and the old guard. So they've got, obviously Leia is trying with some frustration to try and shape him into a future leader because she's aware that, you know, her time is limited and she may die and they need new leaders to take over if she does. And then Admiral Holdo, um, Laura Dern's character is kind of introduced as this foil. And most of the time I've just been very kind of frustrated and irritated by the amount of infighting and discourse over kind of internet commentary on this. And I think the Poe and Holdo kind of discourse is the only one where I've been like, this has actually been really interesting to see play out because first of all, there's loads of people who just hate Holdo because they're like, oh my God, what a bitch. Cause they're, they have a lot of internalized misogyny. So it's like, that's ridiculous. And there was also a lot of people who, you know, they had like a very pure, but not particularly self-analyzed reaction to this, which is just being like, well, she's terrible. And it's like, obviously the point is that she was introduced to be an unreliable antagonist. So like at first you're like, oh, you know, obviously we side with Poe and then you realise gradually, of course, that Poe is not necessarily right. But I saw some, there was some article like in maybe Vanity Fair or something that was like, oh yeah, this like represents mansplaining and how men don't respect women authority figures. And I was just like, that is really not how I viewed this scene. Because throughout that storyline, by the end of it, I was like, this is a really interesting, first of all, story with like kind of unreliable narratorship and you don't know who's right and then by the end of it you're like they're both right but it's also very much about this kind of generational I guess like the equivalent of activism right because the the resistance is and the rebel alliance always been this explicitly sort of left-wing analogy like is this diverse group of people who are fighting against this authoritarian regime and with this one you've got this new generation of uh, soldiers who are they're all people of color and then the old guard is kind of Hillary Clinton's right so you've got these like you know these militaristic middle-aged white women who have the right thoughts but like the reason why they have 
this conflict with Poe is because they're not giving all the information and you can see where both sides are coming from and neither of them is in the wrong. But you can kind of side with either. I did not read this that way. Okay, at all. you were just. I read it the way Vanity Fair okay. wrote it because <laughs> that's how I, I was like. <laughs> She's clearly right, I mean, and he's like, "I'm gonna send some people on this like fucking crazy mission and not tell you about it, and then mutiny." And like, she's it's strateg- fine. By the end of it, you're like, she's strategically right. And he was, and the whole point is that he needs to learn this lesson about like, not just blowing everything up. Right. But politically in terms of the subtext, that's very much how I read it. I mean, I, I could tell from the first scene where she appears and he's like, tell me what's going on. And she's like, you literally just got demoted. Fuck off. I was like, if she doesn't wind up being correct and validated this is going to be i'm gonna have a lot of problems with this movie (laughs) and i was really relieved it was the paradox that i was really annoyed by the whole like finn and rose escapade but then had to be relieved that they failed because if they hadn't failed it would have validated him being an idiot so this was very it was just there was a lot happening but i think part of the problem though right is that he is this hothead and what he like learns is that what is I don't really even really know what he learns like I mean he he kind of by the end I, I guess is that like we should retreat but he has it's weirdly low stakes like I was talking about well, it's our not because like Christine in the initial sequence like he loses all of these soldiers so that's like no I mean for him like he mutinies and like does all this crazy shit and they're just like Oh, I like him. He's like so spunky. But there's literally like the 10 end, he gets people to be in left charge. in the resistance. Right. But Leia is one of them. And she's just like, go ahead. I'll follow you. And I was like, what have we learned here? Like, okay. I mean, I love Oscar Isaac. He's one of my favorite actors. I also find him very charming and very attractive. But my incredibly controversial opinion, want to hear it? You're going to make a horrible <laughs> face. I can't wait. I think they should have killed him off in the last movie, which was the original plan. It was not enough time and with they have, Dameron. I will, I will accept they have, it if they kill him off in the final film. But they have way too many characters in this movie. This is part of the problem. And they had to come up with something for all of them to do. And I kept thinking, watching this, that they clearly were like, we have to do something with John Boyega. Let's send him off to a casino. And then like had to come up for something with something for Poe to do, which they evidently had not had planned because they had thought they were going to kill him. And I think, as a, again, I was amazed that I was having these thoughts because every time I get to gaze upon Oscar Isaac's beautiful visage is like a wonderful moment for me. But I was annoyed by all of it and I couldn't believe that I was also like annoyed by Laura Dern being in a movie because she similarly is just like a transcendent being. But I didn't think she got nearly enough characterization and it was all just like muddled. And there were just too many people who all had to have their little arcs for it to all make sense. And this was exacerbated by the fact that I think the movie was edited really badly. And so it's skipping around between these plots and like the, I had, as I said earlier, like I haven't seen the original films mm. for a very long time. But, like, The Empire Strikes Back also is doing a similar thing. Or, like, The Two Towers, right? I mean, it is is the classic middle of a trilogy story. Right. And and it is hard to balance that. But I thought that this one, like, on a technical level, I thought the editing was not good. And that makes it harder 
to follow, like literally follow what is happening. So there was only one instance when where, I- so overall, I don't think that's true. But there was one instance where I was actually like in my head, I was making a mental note <laughs> because this is very detailed and you're going to be like, fuck off. Uh, but like during the crate sequence at the end, when they're doing the dust flats thing, there are these really weird um, craft that they're using where there's like a pilot on one side and then like a ski in the middle and then a gun on the other side. And I was watching that scene and I could not figure out how many pilots there were or whether different characters were in the same vehicle or not. Cause they'd edit Cause like the ship design is really confusing. Cause it's no, like they don't have a pilot in the middle and then they just cut between characters. And I was like, you need to show me an aerial diagram of this. And then I had to go home and like look up a diagram and I was like, okay, I'm going to rewatch this with that knowledge in mind. <laughs> I do not know what you're talking about. <laughs> It's the sequence where John Boyega goes into the cannon and they're all on those, like, sand vehicles. And the design is there's a ski in the middle, there's a pod on one side and a gun on the other side. And I was like, how many people are in these pods? It was, like, Pacific Rim. No, it wasn't. There was was one person in each vehicle. Oh, right. Because then, well, then you figure that out because he... Yeah, but that's what I mean. It's, like, not... It's not... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. Well, I don't mean as much like literally isn't quite the right word. I've misused the word yeah. literally as all millennials do because it's not. There were a couple moments I thought were actually within a scene. I was like, "What's happening?" But more like cutting between the yeah. plot lines. Like this is what Dunkirk was. Everyone was so excited yeah. about, and why it will probably win an Oscar is that they balance between those plot lines so well that I certainly was never confused about where we were or what was happening, and the timelines were different on those, and. I think it was brilliantly edited. And this, the timelines for all three stories are not the same, which they never really talk about, but it's true. So like Ray is on that island for a long time and it's never really fully addressed like what is happening there. And then the other, then as you say, it's this like unbelievably long chase sequence that has like a timer at the end of it. And it cut between those plots in a way that I found very difficult. Again, not in like a literal way to follow, but it just jars you as mm-hmm. a viewer. It's like when I saw this movie on Saturday and my memory of it is just a muddle. Like I know what happened in a literal sense. Like if you asked me to tell you, I would be able to like write down a summary, but the like visual in my mind, just like the feeling is just like, Wow. <laughs> Whereas mine is like Stuff. powerfully seared into I my guess. heart. Although I am I'm 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 interested to see what happens when I rewatch it, because I'm sure obviously as always there'll be things that I'll pick up on that I'm like, okay, that was actually a mistake. But at the same time I think there's also gonna be things I'll pick up on where I'm like, this is even better the second time. <laughs> but like there were a lot of moments where he was especially in the first third, I think, where he was cutting between a sequel between one plot line and the other at a point where I thought it was just very bizarre. Like it was very jarring mm-hmm. and sudden. And I think that also like stopped me from really getting into the movie because I was just like, why are we to keep doing this? And I, it was just very frustrating to me. And it is hard to do that. Like this is like the task he was given was yeah. difficult, but I don't think he pulled it off, but we can talk now about the thing I did like. <laughs> Just the yeah, Ray listeners. Part. Morgan is a Raylo shipper now. <laughs> oh my god, I lost so many followers on Tumblr. It was really hilarious. I like. Are you alienating yeah. my shared listener base? <laughs> oh yes. Well, it was so funny because I like. 
I like posted something being like, I love this garbage. Like, excellent. I'm on board. <laughs> but like, not even that. And then someone sent me a message that was like, I'm disappointed. Like, anonymously, of course. It was like, I'm disappointed. You like, Rayla. I was like, like, thank you for letting me know. Like, and then someone, another anonymous message, like, I think perfectly good faith was like, I'm curious, like, what happened in this movie? This person who really hadn't seen it. But, like, made you feel this way. Like, I'm not trying to be obnoxious like I'm just genuinely curious and so I sort of wrote a response and it was like just to be clear like in case people aren't aware like I'm not advocating for this like this isn't yeah because like I mean because this, this is a situation right where it's like although I obviously am not like a Raylo shipper I get where you're coming from right the thing is the thing about this film right is that because of the incredibly intensive fandom infighting of the past two years over the morality of Raylo it's really made it very difficult for people to interpret this film in like the way it was intended, right? So on one level, yeah. this film explicitly is just like, first of all, Kylo Ren is like a fucking shitbag. Like he's just completely awful. But secondly, he's a very well-drawn character and the performance is really strong, right? And in the marketing and stuff, there's been lots of interviews where Adam Driver's been like, yeah, he's really sympathetic. And it's like, that doesn't mean that Adam Driver agrees with Kylo Ren's moral values. I mean, he's an actor who's hired to perform him in an emotionally complex way, which he succeeded in doing. And at the same time, there is this really intensive relationship between Ray and Kylo Ren, which Morgan is now going to talk about at length. And that means there's lots of fruit for people to ship. But it doesn't mean that it's like, oh yeah, this is like really endorsed by the film or Daisy Ridley, or any of that, because they're all quite clearly, like, this is a terrible idea, and the film ends with her basically, like, dunking him like a basketball, and then he goes off to, like, cry in a cupboard, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I found that so... I found the whole, like, all the, all the stuff with them and Luke, who I also thought was great, like, Mark Hamill was fantastic, oh God, I, I thought him. all that writing so much, was... And my heart beats for Luke Skywalker. Yeah, it's fantastic. Just a performance I was not expecting. But I think Kylo Ren is definitely the most interesting character in these movies. And I like a lot of the other characters, too, obviously. And I think that, like, Rey is totally fascinating to me as well. Although I think to a certain extent you have imprinted on Adam Driver from his other work. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love Adam Driver. He's, he's one of my favorite, favorite actors, like, top five, probably, of all time, living and dead. But I also think it's quite clear that the people making this movie put the most time and effort into those three characters of all the characters in this film. Like the psychological stuff going on is so much more complex than any of the other characters. And I'm not so like, I love dark stuff, but one of the things I like the most about the force awakens, I remember vividly having this feeling seeing it and I just rewatched it. And I think it's a really, really good movie is that it's, it's just a pure pleasure to watch. Like it's really mm. joyous and very sincere. And I was trying to remember like what else had come out that year. And I think it was age of Ultron and there was some other horrible blockbuster. And I just remember feeling just disgust with everything. And then this movie came out and I was like, it's oh, a very right. it's possible to experience. Like, yeah. So like, I love all this dark shit, but it's not that I necessarily privilege that over. Well, it's yeah, very much like in keeping with its role as the second film in a trilogy. Right. It's, I mean, I'm probably yeah. like that too, obviously. But I think Adam Driver is part of the reason why I think that character works so well. I mean, large part of it. But I think the writing is also really complex. 
And I think it's also, the whole thing is so timely that I think it makes watching that character and the movie really resonant. I mean, this is a guy who's been radicalized. Yeah. Right. And he's literally just wants some like emotional attention and he's getting it from like a creepy old fascist man and he wants it from a young woman and she's just like, but I have morals. <laughs> right. It made me think of this play that was, I think it's still on in London. Um, the new Jess Butterworth play, The Ferryman, which I saw in London over mm-hmm. the summer, which is about Northern Ireland in the eighties. It was a very long play and it becomes apparent maybe half or two thirds of the way through that it's all about radicalization and extremism and the troubles and all of this stuff. And I thought it was totally brilliant and fascinating and it has really nothing like Star Wars at all. But that was what I was thinking of watching this movie because, and Adam Driver has been saying this too, that it's, it's scarier when people are, and people say this about villains all the time, but I thought it really was interesting to think about watching this movie that when people are completely sure of themselves and d- refuse to like have doubt that that obviously is more terrifying than the alternative. And there is a fundamentalist quality Yeah, and they have this really great balance between Hux and Kylo Ren. Because Hux is just this absolute screaming, hysterical pantomime villain, and the performance is just like because obviously in the first in the first film he is you know, he's he's very one note, right? And this film is kind of the opposite, it's the same situation as Poe, where they were like, We've taken that one note and we've just taken it to its obvious conclusion. So there's there's yeah. some amazing Tumblr posts that I'll see if I can find and I can add it to our show notes, but they're basically describing him as just, you feel like he ought to be wearing a pith helmet. He's this terrible, like, Victorian Englishman. And clearly, like, Donald Gleason's Irish, like, he's done his research. He has every reason to, like, understand this stereotype from an outside mm-hmm. perspective while also being informed, you know? He is simultaneously, like, this kind of weaselly character but also quite frightening and also very, very funny. Like he, I was laughing yes. basically every time Hux was on scene, whether or not it was an intentional joke. <laughs> well, every time he looks at Kylo Ren, it's, it's hilarious just... <laughs> because he's just sit, like sitting, you, Kylo Ren is like having a fit and Hux is just like, what is happening? Like, oh my and God. They're both, like, they're both really bad leaders in very different ways that do not fit together. Yes. And now they're in charge of an empire and it's just hysterical. Yes. But I think what works so well about Kylo Ren as a character is that I actually think they do a good job of making him quite sympathetic up to a point. Like, I don't think you're supposed to watch the movie and be like, oh man, that poor guy, like, he should just needs to, you know, I don't know, do what to then just, like, go on home and be fine. He's killed tons of people and clearly in the next movie he is going to die and that is the only thing that would be narratively satisfying for the end of these films clearly has to die and will presumably die in the act of redeeming himself somehow like he'll save something i mean we've all seen movies and seen star wars like the same thing's gonna happen i imagine i mean maybe they'll do something i mean i feel like jj abrams is quite reliable so it's like he may do that whereas like ryan johnson is very much like let's shake things up a bit (laughs) yeah and I think that would be very satisfying yeah. for all of us. But watching the movie, I absolutely was sympathetic to him while simultaneously being like, you're very bad. And I think that that's really hard to pull yeah. off. And I think that they did it. And I actually didn't know from moment to moment what was going on. Yeah, happen. I was very and I stressed. Think that I was like, oh god, wild. I hope they don't make Ray low cat. And I was like fucking sitting there dying. <laughs> like, don't do it! <laughs> oh, even though, like, it is really compelling, but 
I was just like, this is going to send a terrible message to the youth. <laughs> I didn't think that was going to happen. Um, I mean, I obviously didn't think it was going to happen long term, but <laughs> I had seeds of doubt. I mean, obviously it's it's supposed to be very sexy. Like, that's clearly, you're supposed to get that. I really enjoyed, I said this on Tumblr, that like she's not objectified at all and wasn't in The Force Awakens either, which I think is really great. And then he's got his like shirtless scene moment. And I was like, good. <laughs> That's not the most attractive Adam Driver. I've, I've been so, I should so tickled by the response to the shirtless scene. Because there's like, obviously some people are really discovering the like concept of Adam Driver being ugly hot, right? Because he's like an unexpected hot guy to a lot of people and then there's some people who are just like utterly repulsed <laughs> i saw some person on twitter who was like talking about the response from her cinema and apparently just like when the shirtless scene happened every person in the cinema was just like ugh, at the same time <laughs> there's like <laughs> multiple people in the audience just like i love the variety of opinions that are coming out of this <laughs> i feel like our cinema did not do that at all it was definitely the opposite response <laughs> <laughs> there was sort of some like gasps and titters. I think there was laughter in mine the was, cinema, as I recall. Mine was a very laughy cinema, so I was quite surprised when I found out that some people thought this film wasn't funny. Because I was like, this is the funniest Star Wars movie. And they're all very funny. I did not have that response. I thought it was there was there were funny bits, but I did not think it was. I was I would say I was movie. laughing as much, if not more, than during Thor Ragnarok. That's insane to me. <laughs> I do not understand that, but we yeah, don't have to yeah. draw you can, that one, point. one cannot explain humor. It cannot be quantified. <laughs> no. But yeah, I just find the whole thing really hilarious because literally on the first season of Girls, Adam Driver does not wear a shirt until the seventh episode. I'm not exaggerating. That's a fact. He just doesn't have clothes he, on for d- most d- of d- the Is show. he shirtless in Patterson? Yes, because they're in bed at the beginning. Okay. But it's not, it's not like... It's not like his thing. Yeah, he's showing he's like, off. Obviously... I mean, anyway, Patterson's a good movie. <laughs> yes, I highly recommend Patterson, but it's just really funny to me. Like, the material is out there if you're looking for it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that... And, like, the moment where he kills Snoke, from the second Snoke says oh, you yeah. have to kill yeah. her, of, of course. course you know what's going to happen. But that scene leading up to that, you don't know exactly how that's going to play out. I think that scene is the best scene in the movie. I thought it was riveting and then they have their fight together and that was the moment i think when the cinema at my cinema had the most sort of like <gasps> this is so exciting you could tell the audience was really excited about it and then the easy way out obviously would for then to have him be like i'm just gonna go fight with you now and i'm gonna be good and it would have been terrible like it wouldn't yeah. have worked at all and they were like it was just i thought they did a really good job of sort of swinging back and forth a little yeah. bit on him which makes sense because most people, even like evil people, aren't really evil, yeah. right? And that makes it more frightening. Like if he were just because he's so much more both compelling and sympathetic and disturbing than Hux, who's just like yeah. blow everyone sure. up, like it's fine, you know. And I found fa- I I just found that whole section of the movie fascinating, and I found the stuff with Ray really really compelling and the whole dynamic between them of wanting to obliterate the past versus being interested and Luke is doing yeah. the same thing of versus being really fascinated by the past and then not having parents and like yeah. there's just a lot and of also, dynamic you there. know like Kylo Ren 
is immature, right? Because he's, you know, he's 30 and the way he's behaving, like everyone makes fun of him being like a sulky teenage emo kid, right? And he yeah. is explicitly really immature. Whereas uh, Ray is youthful, which is kind of different, right? Because the reason why yes. she goes to save him is because she just has, for most of her life, she's just had this difficult but very simple lifestyle. And now she's been put into this position where she's making these really weighty moral decisions. And she makes this kind of almost childlike decision where she's just like, I know this guy can be redeemed. And, <laughs> and then tries to go and redeem him. And then it doesn't work. But it's like, yeah. because she's so youthful, whereas he's just really fucking immature and he doesn't have any excuse and decisions he's making are bad for different but connected reasons well yeah i mean he's a child and they also do a good job of like explaining why his development has been arrested which is that he thinks that his surrogate father tried to kill yeah him which is an excuse for being like murdering like millions yeah i am i am really glad that they made him 30 because it makes the whole story so much more effective and it also makes the fact that Leia and Han were clearly quite not great parents more effective because it means that he was conceived basically yeah. during the final Star Wars film. He and Hux were both born yeah. in like the year where there was clearly a baby boom right after the end of the war. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, like again, I said that it was all really smart because they're not trying to excuse it, but you also then can understand why your parents shipping you off to, like, this remote middle of nowhere, whatever the fuck place with this, like, weird guy. (laughs) She's like, Luke is... I mean, God, I I adore him. And it's also, like, you can definitely see that he's not equipped to do this. You know, teaching is a specific job. (laughs) And he's, like, afraid of this kid who's gonna ruin... He doesn't know what he's doing. He's like going on this like fucking safari tour trying to figure out what the the Jedi were. And it's like, resurrecting the Jedi was always a bad idea. They fucked up already. Don't do it again. (laughs) Well, right. And then, so he then tries to like kill him off. But like, can't kill kids. So I thought the fact they showed that scene from both of their perspectives was so brilliant and affecting because... So much of that part of the movie is about people misinterpreting. Oh, each did other. you notice the beard and towards the end? By the way, hair and beard, beard, like uh, Luke's appearance in the final act. No, when he comes as the Force projection on the Salt Planet crate, the way I guessed it wasn't because it fit narratively, but because his appearance was different. <laughs> um, he actually alters his appearance so he looks like the character in the flashback. So Mark Hamill's beard is like brown, his hair is brown and oh. shorter. He looks much slimmer. So like he's wearing this outfit that is very similar to the outfit he wears in um the kind of in the, the sixth Star Wars movie. And he he physically resembles exactly the last version of Luke Skywalker that Kylo Ren saw. So it's like an effective psychological technique to get into his head and be like yeah. fucking him up. Um, and I was just like, that's a really that's a really cool detail. Cause I thought it was like quite obvious. And when I spoke to my friends, none of them had noticed that during that scene, which is like also fair enough. Cause like, it's not a necessary detail. It just adds a certain something and uh, very smart strategically yes. in terms of dealing with your former pupil who really is completely obsessed with this one interaction you had 10 years ago that ruined both of your lives. So <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. Also, can I just say re-Luke 
the weird moment where he like milks the thing on the Pure island and then like joy. looks up at her and smiles. Oh I was like, what the fuck I, is going on? I was like, I was in paroxysms. It was so fucking weird. It was so <laughs> weird. But then I was like, this is very Luke. It was simultaneously, this film is very unexpected and that's why it's annoyed a lot of people because people are like, oh, it ought to be following this really classic story where he's like an Obi-Wan style mentor and stuff. And it's like, that would be shit and repetitive. But even though his behavior was like very trollish and weird, I think it does gel very clearly with what we've seen before. Because he does have this same kind of like bitchy sense of humor that that Luke does when he's young and Anakin has as well. And you can definitely see why he is the way he is. And it's also just really entertaining and Mark Hamill's a really good comedic actor. So it just like, it just all worked for me so much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, I've seen this sort of like, this is out of character. And like, I do not remember those movies enough. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, I saw them a month ago and I'm like, it's not out of character, you know? Right. But also like, as people it's been have been saying, years. <laughs> Right, like, he's been alone on an island with some weird creatures for 35 years, so perhaps that does something to you mentally. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, honestly, like, it's not like Leia, because, like, Leia's role in these films is so minimal, like, she gets more in this one, and obviously it really sucks that we're getting, we're missing out on her film, which was going to be the third film in the trilogy, and now they're having to rewrite it all, as everyone knows, but, um... I mean, obviously her characterization is not as extreme, but with her, it's like, we don't really know how much she's changed because we don't know this intervening information unless you're someone who's reading all the tie-in novels. Whereas with Han Solo, for him, it makes sense that he's not going to change because he basically only goes through one piece of character development, which takes place during the original trilogy. And then after that, he's basically just going to stay the same forever. I mean, Han is... Yeah, Han, Han. is... That's the whole point. That's, that's the reason the why the Han Solo movie is, like, completely fucking pointless, which is a conversation we right. don't need to have, but that movie, if they're gonna make, like, a white guy Star Wars movie, it should be Obi-Wan, and not this bullshit. Just I know. Un- just oh my God. unnecessary. I mean, I've told this story many times, but my mother has seen one Star Wars movie mm. ever. We're going next week, so this is gonna be a which fun experience one she for her. Seen? I'm gonna make her watch. She's seen the first one. Like, Chronologically, the first Interesting. one, the Return of the I, I, the I really, you need to give um, me detailed feedback on what she says about this film. Yeah, so I, I mean, I'm gonna bring the Force Awakens. We're mm. gonna watch that, and then we're gonna go see this. Provided we can like get into a screening, which is gonna be interesting. Um, but anyway, the reason I bring this up is that I always tell the story because I just think it's amazing. She and her like teenage girlfriends <laughs> went and saw Return of the Jedi in the '70s when it came out. And literally the only thing that she remembers from it is Harrison Ford. Oh, yeah, of course. She'll just be like, Harrison Ford is so hot. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. And, I mean, he is the thing, you know? And he was the the thing forever. And he just has a quality. He's obviously old now, but it's just eternal. Uh. You can't. You can't I really, imitate it. I really, you can't fuck with I really it. Want you to it just them. is what it is. Oh my god, I've been meaning to forever, but it's just they're so inaccessible because they're so Ugh. expensive. At some point, I'll just buy the Blu-rays. But um, I just find this so hilarious. Like when the um last one came out, she was sort of like, "Well, I, do I have to watch the old ones to see it?" And I was like, "No, probably not." Like 
maybe look at Wikipedia or something. Like, obviously she knows that Darth Vader mm. is Luke's father because she's been alive in America for the past however many years. Um, but I was like, you saw the first one, and that's actually kind of all you need to know because it mimics it so closely. I was like, you know, they blow up the Death Star, and she had no idea. Like, I mean, zero. But she remembered <laughs> Harrison Ford. <laughs> like, but the thing is, well, <laughs> like, Han Solo, I mean, you obviously know this, but, like, you are you are not going to be prepared for what Han Solo is like when you rewatch this film because he I is mean, shit. I saw he them is not written shit. He's written very well, but like he is just a dumb idiot. <laughs> yeah, well, what and like I saw them. I feel like I watched them twice. I think I've only seen them twice, and it was in pretty quick succession when I was in around middle schoolish, and not younger than that. And basically, my memory of them also is, like, Harrison Ford. <laughs> and, like, the stuff with, like, Palpatine in the dark room and the scary fights. And... But he was the predominant, you know, force of my experience as a young girl. So, it all makes sense to me. I understand the perspective. Um, Whereas I'm very clearly and... very much a Luke girl. Yeah, no. I didn't care because... about Luke. My mom was always like, none of us cared about Mark <laughs> Hamill. Like, oh, God. He's, just, he's like, <laughs> he is like a dumb, whiny baby in the first movie. And he just has all of these really great fashion choices. Like, he's very petite. And he wears, like, ponchos. Yes. And then by the, he, like, has this evolution where he starts off in, like, a poncho and leggings. And then by the final film, he's like, it's a black poncho and black leggings. <laughs> and I just, oh, like, oh, in the middle, there's, like, a break where he's kind of muscular, but he's also, like, incredibly tiny. I realize I'm just describing Mark Hamill's appearance here, but I feel like it plays into him because he's a very atypical kind of action hero. Yes. God. I mean, that man would never get that role. Today. I love him. Never in one million. And years. it really, it really does play into why he's like such a great character. He's not like some fucking square jawed. <laughs> no. He is. He is no, a petite no. comedy actor who spends most of the first film. In his early introductory scenes, he's literally just playing with, like, a toy spaceship. And Leia, who's yeah, the same age as him, is, like, an ambassador. <laughs> <laughs> well, women do mature more quickly. So. <laughs> oh, my God. Someday, someday I'll rewatch them and then we can do a podcast yeah. about it. And just I'm, I'm hoping I can monsters. find someone who... Will rewatch the prequel trilogy with me? I did. Oh I no, no! I would that. never. I would never ask never you. In a million. I was just establishing no, God, that fact. I would never ask. Well, this right is the problem, right? Because you need to choose the people <laughs> strategically, right? Because I actually, it, before the Force Awakens came out in two thousand fifteen, my friends and family watched, you know, the original six Star Wars movies over the course of the mm-hmm. year, and obviously the prequels are bad. You know, they're bad films. But now yes. I've rewatched the original trilogy. I'm like. I really, I really want to watch. I really want to watch those prequels again. It's like an illness. I remember. Yeah. Well, I obviously saw. Yeah, of course. Them. I mean, I remember. I mean, obviously, like when we were children, I liked the Phantom Menace because I was nine. But I have this really powerful memory of when the third film came out. By that point, I was a teenager and I had critical faculties, and I was just like, "This is this is appalling. It is shocking." Exactly. I don't remember having a strong reaction to The Phantom Menace either way. I didn't dislike it because we were like mm. nine. I just remember it. Yeah, I was, I was, I, I was a very intensive child Star Wars fan. I read a lot of the Jedi Apprentice novels. Yeah. I just was like, oh, 
Okay. And then we saw the second one, and I remember obviously seeing it, but I don't remember having any reaction to it, although I must have. And I have such vivid memories of seeing the third one. I remember going with my dad and coming out of it and just being like, what the fuck was that? Like, that was the worst dialogue I've ever seen in a film. I was so offended. It is... And he was like, yeah, it was But, like, bad. the really interesting thing <laughs> is, right, that, like, a couple of years when I rewatch these films, they are absolutely, I mean, of course, everything you just said is correct. But what I find quite interesting is, like, as an adult who obviously is now a film critic, <laughs> um, the third film is actually better than the second film. And it's just that we were older and we realised that it was worse. But the yeah. third one is... The third one... Oh, and the, yeah. they all have conceptually they have so many interesting political and spiritual themes that are just hopelessly mishandled by like the adjective because like George Lucas is a horrible horrible dialogue writer and there's so many lines where it's just like people like Ewan McGregor and like Liam Neeson are just delivering this stuff and it's just like we all know you're good at your jobs but like you've not you've just been given an impossible task here (laughs) there's one scene in the third one where Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman are saying romantic dialogue to each other on like a balcony and I just remember I couldn't believe what was it happening. is the worst it was like it is the worst, worst romance that I have ever seen in my entire <laughs> like this is including when you watch like movies from the 1930s and they've got like weird situations where you know it's like oh you need to like spank the women and then keep her in a cage or something like weird gender roles shit from like 1936 <laughs> The romance between Anakin and Amidala is the worst romance I have ever seen. Watching yeah. as an adult, I was honestly agog. And I have to say... I mean, he, he actually is a child. Well, it's not even just that, right? Because like, obviously he is he is no. like a child and he's also like really immature and she's like years older than him. But like every aspect of it is terrible. Well, when I said he is a child, I wasn't even thinking of the fact that he literally is oh, a right, child okay. in the first one. And then when I was saying it... I was thinking of the fact that his manner is literally that of a fucking child. And then I was like, oh, right. They meet when he's fucking 10 years old. <laughs> the whole thing. Is it's a just, really, it's a really I mean, strange. Oh, it's a really strange idea. And also, like, I feel bad for Hayden yeah. Christensen because like, I can't remember the specifics now, but he he's obviously like continually for his entire career gotten a lot of flack for these movies He's spoken in a kind of roundabout way about how he, basically he is, he's not a bad actor, right? And it's not his fault, but because he's like only known for these films, he's in this weird situation where it's like, it kind of made your career, but also like completely fucked you over because you were having to play this character where you were trying to have conversations with like George Lucas, who is incredibly like, you know, he is George Lucas, right? So you can't be like, oh, I'm like this 20 year old. I'm trying to tell George Lucas that the thing you're trying to tell me to do makes no sense. It's like, you can't do it. If Liam Neeson can't do it, you can't do it. (laughs) Nope. Oh my God. But they are, they are really, it sets up so much really interesting political world building. But I mean, I cannot in all responsibility recommend them. So I was like, today I was texting my friend who just watched Star Wars with me for the first time being like, would you like to see the prequel trilogy? And she, like, as a well-informed adult, was like, no. <laughs> so sadly, that option's Sensible. <laughs> you tried to get someone Well, the smart. thing is, I wouldn't, I wouldn't misinform tricks. her is the thing, you know. I wouldn't want to, like, trick someone yes. into this, right? So I've got to find <laughs> someone who voluntarily will watch the prequel trilogy with me. <laughs> 
I don't know if that person exists. Good luck yeah. to you with that task. Oh, man. I'm on for Rogue One, though. Yeah, yeah Rogue One was fine. Yeah, like, because so, so with with this film, like, I was a bit concerned, obviously, that, like, there's been quite a few podcasts we've done where Morgan and I have had, like, the same dynamic we have in this podcast where she's like, this film is full of mistakes. And I'm like, it was great. Um, and usually it's like we record, like, the day after we see it. And then I'm like, Morgan was right. <laughs> and in this one, I'm, like, very happy that that, like, not the case. And I'm pretty solid in all of my opinions although I think you are probably right about the editing and chronology is problematic yeah but like with Rogue One we came out of that film and I was like not great and I think you liked it even less than I did and then it's really grown on me or maybe did you like it more? I liked it fine at the time and I thought it wasn't great but I enjoyed watching it fine and I have now think yeah okay because I think it's grown on me more because I remember after watching it being like I mean, for like obviously, people can go and listen to our Rogue One podcast, but like, I really don't care for the protagonist at all. And like, I felt that all the editing problems were very obvious because like they'd had to go through all these yeah. reshoots and like change the ending and stuff. And now I'm just I'm very emotionally attached to every character, which is the problem of being a Star Wars fan. And then when I was watching this film, <laughs> because I am a tremendous fan of the Star Wars dictionaries. Um, the visual dictionaries, which are just, I buy them immediately when there's a new Star Wars film and I get a great deal of entertainment out of them. Highly recommended. Um, but in this one, it's like they kind of say the the can at the end that Finn tries to fling himself into is powered by a kyber crystal. And I was like, this is the kind of deep cut I appreciate because I'm getting this like real emotional resonance to like the power of all the sacrifices that were made in Rogue One. And it's really linking through in this infinitesimally subtle way <laughs> through to the current film. You know, I can't believe Chira Imwe died for this kyber crystal. <laughs> I have nothing to say to that. Just, I mean, no. basically, we are very no. much appreciating these films at entirely different levels. <laughs> yes, I think that that's an accurate statement. <laughs> well, I think that's about all we have to say about this. Um, I am looking forward, as I tweeted at you the other day, to Adam Driver's forthcoming musical film where he plays a stand-up comedian with a baby directed by one of the weirdest French film directors ever. So that's where you can see Kylo Ren in the future. I just I just say this to illustrate like the amazingly bizarre quality of modern stardom. What an incredible world we live in. It's basically what Andrew Garfield wanted to be doing. <laughs> and failed Come at, on. yes, unfortunately. Yeah, his, he, he does good films. Patterson, as we were saying, I really do. Hi, yeah, we, we think it was like one of our film festival podcasts last year, Morgan kind of talked about this film. I, I hadn't it. seen it at that yeah. point, but I can confirm for anyone who's been really thinking about that one for the past 18 months. I saw this film <laughs> many months later and it is really good. Really recommended, like a very nice, quiet, simple film about a poet in a non-pretentious yep. way. And I saw it at, at Christmas time last year also, so good non-Christmas Christmas <laughs> well, movie, Star Wars is the say. ultimate Christmas movie now. Yes, and I can only assume that Han Solo will be delayed till Christmas, although it hasn't officially yet, because uh, that film is allegedly still coming out next next summer. They have not released a trailer. Um, they've had to remake the whole film. So why are they even bothering? I mean, at this point, just say it's Christmas. Just admit it. Clearly, it's coming out at Christmas. They've delayed all of them six months at this point. I think, like, it's fine. Yeah. Catch us next week for The Shape of Water, which should have been this week, but I did not have time to edit. However, we both yeah. love that movie. Yeah. Good film. Um, watch watch good stuff <laughs> over Christmas. I hope you enjoy going to the movies with your family. 
And as ever, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. It's how we find new listeners. And otherwise, you can find us on overinvestedpodcast.com, on Twitter at overinvestedpod, or on Tumblr at overinvestedpodcast. Thanks. Bye.